0: on the eastern shore, I should say near the Chesapeake there. So please pray for that, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on. Um, Also, I want to make mention, it just came up, and again, Jack, you stimulated my thinking when you said about 33 men being ordained. I went back through and counted in my head while I was sitting there, a third of them are church planters. And the reason being is that when we call a church planter, we want that man to plant a Bible fellowship church. And therefore, that man has to be assessed and properly credentialed and ordained in the BFC. And so that's very important to know that what these men are doing is they're not just planting churches, They're planting Bible fellowship churches, and they are in agreement, total agreement, with our doctrinal views. So praise God for that also, that what these churches will become will become Bible fellowship churches led by men who are in total agreement with our doctrinal views. So it's an exciting thing, and I hope you come out tonight uh, to hear a little bit more about my passion and the passion of these men. Uh, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles now. We have some time. I want to look in the Word of God this morning. And we're going to... I have various texts that I'm going to go to. But we're going to be talking this morning about the church on the move. I titled the message Scattered because it's a biblical term. In the Old Testament, scattering was that vision and that illustration of a farmer going out into the field with his seed sack strung over his shoulder, digging into that bag and casting the seed out into furrowed ground expecting growth to come. And that's what the word scattering means in the Hebrew. Pretty much the same as we saw in Acts chapter 11. The word there, those who were scattered from the persecution in Antioch, came in, uh, in Jerusalem, came into Antioch. Pretty much the the Greek word is the same. It's that that idea of sowing, scattering. And that's what we want to focus on this morning. The church being scattered on the move, but on the move with a purpose. Not just for the sake of being busy but with a purpose of bringing the gospel to the unsaved in the world. So I'd like you to turn to the book of Zechariah, chapter 10. And again, this isn't a text that I'm going to exegete this morning, but a text we're going to springboard from to get into this idea and understanding of the church being on the move. In Zechariah, chapter 10, verse 9, When I scatter them among the peoples, they will remember me in far countries." and they with their children will live and come back. I will bring them back from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria, and I will bring them into the land of Gilead and Lebanon until no room can be found for them. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the time we've had this morning to pray, uh, to praise God, to give, and now the time around the word of God to be fed. And so, Father, I pray this morning that uh, we might focus in Uh, on the church, but understand that the church is me, and it's every believer that's gathered here this morning, that we have both an individual and a corporate understanding of how you want your church to be on the move with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So bless our time this morning, Lord, as we study and drive home through your Holy Spirit's efforts, the understanding of your word to our hearts and our minds. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the first century, there was a, and I, I, would love to, I would have loved to have his job. His name was Publius Silvius, and he was a writer of Proverbs. And all he did was sit around and write Proverbs. Wouldn't you like to have a job like that? Uh, I, I learned from, uh, I think it was some show on TV several years ago, that, uh, you know, those fortune cookies that we get at the Chinese restaurant, they always have the little piece of paper in there with a fortune written on it or some kind of proverb written on it. Well, they showed one time where these things come from because I was kind of curious to know that. And it showed, uh, went into Brooklyn, New York, into a, 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 a cookie factory, one of these Chinese cookie factories. And there were three or four Chinese men sitting there, old fellows, that sat and write these little proverbs. And then they'd be transformed into these little papers and stuck in these fortune cookies. That's the kind of job you want, you know? Well, this fellow, Publius Silvius, he wrote over thousands of proverbs, and many of them have come down to us today, first century, a lot of, a long time ago. One of those proverbs goes like this, a rolling stone gathers no moss. Well, there's two interpretations of that. Uh, the one interpretation is that, that this is talking about an individual that is purposeless, no direction, wandering around. Another interpretation of that proverb is that it's talking about a person that's stagnant, just stayed in one place and not moving out. Now, there have been over 20 songs written about that proverb, and maybe the most famous was written by Bob Dylan, one of my Uh, one of my composers and songwriters before I was saved that I used to like and listen to quite a bit. But Dylan's song goes like this. The lyrics go like this. How does it feel to be on your own, with no direction home, like a complete unknown, like a rolling stone? Well, how does that feel for the church? You see, the church is not supposed to be either stagnant, without direction, or purposeless. The church is to be purposefully on the move with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now you say, well, that sounds good, brother, but um, is that true? Is there biblical justification to the church being on the move? Because often we hear from the psalmist, be still, know that I'm God. Well, historically, we can say that yes, it is true. We saw a church of about a hundred and some people gathered in an upper room in Jerusalem and on the next day be filled with the Holy Spirit and through the preaching of the gospel, 3,000 get saved and the church dynamically begin to grow. And that church receiving the commission to go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And by the time we reach chapter 8 in the book of Acts, and the church being stagnant, almost purposeless to a certain degree in terms of fulfilling that great commission, God orchestrates something to get them on the move, which we read about in Acts chapter 11. And that is the persecution of the church through the martyrdom of Stephen. And the church then is picked up and gotten on the move. You take notice in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it says, through that persecution and martyrdom of Stephen, the church moved out into... Ah. Judea and Samaria. And if we follow the story through to Acts chapter 13, we see that the church then got moving into the other most parts of the world. And by the end of the first century, Acts chapter 17 tells us that the church, again, you and I being the church, and back then, those believers being the church, the church had turned the world upside down. And by the fourth century, Constantine declares through a council that the whole empire is Christian. Whether you look at that as good or bad. But the point I'm trying to make is, historically, God has had his church on the move. But what about biblically? Okay. Well, God, through direct means, like he did in Acts chapter 12, I mean, in, in Genesis chapter 12, when he called Abraham, he said, Abraham, get up and get going. In other means, through judgment and cursing, in, Acts chapter, uh, in Genesis chapter 3, he curses Adam and Eve, but at the same time, he drives them out. Same word for scattering in the Hebrew. Genesis 3, he drives them out of the garden with judgment against them, but still with the commission to propagate and fill the world with godly people. In Acts chapter 11, why do I keep on saying Acts? is for Genesis. In Genesis chapter 11, we come to the Tower of Babel, and there at the Tower of Babel, the population of the world are gathered, and they want to be like God. They want to build a ziggurat up to God and worship Him. And God comes down, and we're told that He confounds their languages, and the same word again, He scatters them abroad. So, We seem to see that God does want his people on the move, whether it's through direct commissioning like Abraham, or whether it's even through judgment and cursing. And our text that I read in the beginning here in Zechariah, it says, when I scatter them among the people... They will remember me in foreign countries. Now here we start to see the purpose, not just for the church to be busy, not for God's people just to be busy, but the purpose of God wanting His people on the move. They shall remember me as they're scattered. There's the purpose. The purpose is, is, as the people of God are on the move, they're not just to become busy, busy, but they are to be intentional witnesses and worshipers of God in foreign places, in places where the gospel is not known, places where they are reminding the people, and reminding themselves to a great degree, to remember God and His covenant promises of redemption. I... I like what John Calvin says about Zechariah chapter 10 verse 9, he says, God uses a curse in an opposite meaning, as though he had said that he would at his pleasure turn darkness into light. The people had been scattered through God being angry with them, but that the issue of this sowing or scattering would be joyful, for the Jews would dwell everywhere and be God's seed, and thus be made to produce abundant fruit. Another commentator, commentator says, Their dispersion was with a special design. Even though cursing and judgment against them, like seeds sown far and wide, they shall, when quickened themselves, be the fittest instruments for quickening others. Don't you like that? The fittest instrument for quickening others with the gospel are you and I who have been quickened with the gospel. And on the move where the gospel needs to be presented. So, when you come to the New Testament, you see pretty much the same genre of thinking on the part of God and his people. I want you on the move. Jesus lays the example of that. One of the best contacts for seeing Jesus on the move is Matthew chapter, chapter 4 and chapter 9. And this terminology is used over and over again and attached to Jesus' earthly ministry. In chapter 4 and chapter 9, it says, Jesus was going. This continual movement on the part of Jesus for the sake of the gospel, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages teaching and healing and showing mercy. And of course, when you come to further into the into the New Testament, like we saw in the book of Acts, and like I commented on already, they were all scattered through the regions. Then those who were scattered, and they were sent away in Acts chapter 13. This terminology over and over in the New Testament telling us that God wants His church on the move. Sowing, with a purpose, sowing the seed of the gospel in lives that are unsaved. Well, again, getting back to the psalmist, again, you say, yeah, but aren't we supposed to be still? Yes, we are. We are supposed to be still at times. I think of it like this. Stillness with God is a result of being on the move with God. Did you hear that? Stillness with God is a result of being on the move with God. You take notice when Jesus was on the move, when he was going, over and over again, it's characterized And when he got tired in his human person, he would steal away to be refreshed in quiet time and stillness with his Father in heaven. And stillness is purposeful for the church to be on the move. So yes, we should be still, but we should be still as a result of being on the move for God. Now, there's a book out called Move, (laughs) interesting. Uh, MOVE, subtitled, What 1,000 Churches Reveal About Spiritual Growth. And the authors, uh, Greg Hawkins and Callie Parkinson, give 12 reasons why churches don't grow spiritually. And the number one reason they list, and you can take issue with this or not, it's arguable, the church focuses more on Bible teaching than Bible engagement in the community. Don't throw tomatoes, right? anything. They're not decrying Bible teaching. They're not saying either or. They're saying both. Bible teaching, the equipping of the saints, must lead to Bible engagement in the community. It's not just good enough to have it up here, but it has to be here and here. And therefore, the Bible teaches, history teaches, That God wants his church scattered, on the move, for the sake of the gospel. Believing that the gospel is, like Paul said, the power unto salvation. If we believe that, then we will be on the move. Now, when the church is on the move and it engages community, What can we expect? When I was growing up in the row home, in a small row home in in Redding, uh, my Pennsylvania Dutch mother uh, would uh, be always on the move in the house, and she'd move from one room to another, cleaning it or in the kitchen making things, stuff like that. And on rainy days like today or snow days, I was stuck in the house. And uh, I'm a guy that's on the move, pretty busy, and I've always been like that, that personality that just can't sit still and always rambunctious, good Dutch word, you know, and when I would go into a room where mom was, she knew that I would create chaos and she wouldn't get her work done. So she would often look over at me and say, Davy, scat, get doing something, get out of here. I want to use that SCAT as an acronym for telling us what can happen when you and I, the church, are on the move with the gospel intentionally and purposely going to the unsaved, the unchurched around us and reaching them. First of all, S. It shows the world the sacrificial character of the church, that we're willing to give up ourselves, our time, our likes for the sake of the unsaved around us. They see a one-anothering with internal ramifications, as we devote ourselves to one another, prefer one another, as we are of the same mind with one another, and as we love one another. The world looks into our showcase, and they look in and they see a people that are sacrificing themselves, not putting themselves forward, but putting, that's what the word devoted means, it's that word, uh, philostorgos, it means pushing somebody else to the front, and in this culture, in this world that we live in, the world, the unsaved world, needs to see us pushing someone else to the front, and us taking a back seat, and when the world sees that, they see sacrifice, the same sacrifice that, Paul tells us Jesus Christ exercised when he counted equality with God, not something to be grasped, but emptied himself and became a man, even a bond slave unto death, even death on the cross. You see, when we engage community, when we're on the move in community purposely for the, with the gospel, we become a vision of sacrifice to the world. And it astounds them. Secondly, we become confessional. When we engage community, I'm not talking about walking around and reciting on the streets and the street corners the Heidelberg or Baptist or Westminster confessions. I'm talking about what Peter said be ready always with an answer for the hope that's in you to anyone who comes and asks you. We become confessional. We realize the power of that gospel. We realize that that gospel, when we confess it before the world, will change lives, will turn people's lives inside out. And so when we are on the move with purpose and intentionality, we become confessional. We are ready at a moment to tell them about the hope that's in us and confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. In the back of our minds, in our hearts, we're saying, come on, God, use that gospel. Come on, God, I know there's power there. Come on, God, work in this heart and change this person's life. A. Well, it has to do with what I've just said in some respects. Attractional. We become attractional. Not in the sense of being entertaining, in the negative way that that word is used today, but we can become attractional, again, in the sense of being sacrificial, willing to give ourselves up. In A.D. 64, Emperor Nero set Rome ablaze, on fire. He blamed the Christians. And in order to uh, really have his own purposes come to fruition... He began to persecute the Christians in such ways that would be abominable to our thinking today, setting them into the arena with wild animals. But the most abominable thing that he did was he built a garden, basically, in the part of the city, and that was his purpose for burning it down, in the part of the city where he burned the city down, he wanted to build his own garden. He built this massive garden, beautiful garden. And he took some Christians and he tied them to stakes, long 20-foot stakes, Poles, you might say. Tied him to those poles and put combustible material around them. And at night, in order to light up his garden so that he could see his garden, he lit up the Christians on those poles. And he had two things in mind. First of all, that he would bring illumination to his garden and attraction to his garden. And the second thing, he would do away with this church and this Jesus Christ and his followers. Just the opposite happened. Within a short period of time, Nero went crazy and killed himself. And soon after, toward the end of the first century, the church was bigger than it ever was before. You see, when we're on the move with the gospel, living sacrificial, holy lives, dedicated like firebrands to Jesus Christ, the world has to take notice of that. They won't understand it, but that's what we're there for to explain it to them. And that leads to this last part of the acronym that's transformational. Blaise Pascal said one time, the serene beauty of a holy life is the most powerful influence in the world next to the might of God. May I connect both of them and say that the testimony of a holy life is the might of God and transforms places. We saw in Antioch, those that were scattered came into Antioch. They preached the gospel. They dialogued about the gospel. They talked about the gospel. And what happened? The mighty hand of God moved and people were turned. They repented. Barnabas went there and what did he do? He rejoiced. Because he saw a pagan city mired in idolatry and immorality changing and becoming holy. Holy. You see, the gospel transforms lives. Look at your own life. Maybe it's not a dramatic testimony. I had the pleasure, I finished up teaching over at LBC the other night, a course I was teaching on the general epistles, and I don't know, God has the most uh, providential times when he wants me to share, Donna and I, our testimony of how uh, we were saved, married, divorced, and then remarried, and then sent into the mission field to be servants of his, you know, and and these young Christians sitting there, just the opportunity to share that testimony, you know, how God moved in our lives and transformed our lives. We are to be agents of transformation, but we can only be that when we're on the move, engaging the unchurched and the unsaved. So, God calls His church and each member that makes up the church to be on the move with the gospel. In your home, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, and in your school. And I'm going to qualify this one more time as we close here. Being on the move for God is not being busy for God. Two different things. Um, Brother Reed mentioned earlier one of my characteristics that I work hard. I've always worked hard. And um, I used to think that that was an accolade. And I took yours as an accolade. Okay. I used to think that that was an accolade, to be known as somebody who worked hard, who was always busy. That's the way I was brought up. But now as I get older, and hopefully a little bit more wiser, I'm finding out that busyness isn't necessarily being on the move for God, and at times isn't even godliness, How many of you are busy? Really busy? Yeah, yeah. I see the hands popping up. We're busy. We're busy in the church. We're busy in our personal lives. We're busy with our family. We're busy with our social activities, maybe in our homes and neighborhoods and things like that. Busyness is not necessarily being on the move for God. Being on the move for God is intentionally serving God with the understanding that the message he's given me to take out into community is powerful enough to save lives, to save his people and see them transformed into new creatures for his sake. Is your busyness and my busyness being motivated by intentional understanding of God his purpose in our lives his commission to my life to go and make disciples through the sharing of the gospel with people or am I just crossing the T's and dotting the I's and being busy in the church we are the church to engage community and be on the move With the power of the gospel. Father in heaven, thank you for telling us very clearly and over and over again that we are not to be a rolling stone who gathers moss, neither stagnant nor without direction, but rather we are to be a people of God intentionally serving you with our heart, soul, and mind and being on the move, engaging the unsaved around us with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, teach us how not to be busy, but to be godly and to be on the move for you. Help us, Lord, to sort things out, to stop some things and begin other things that would honor and serve you in a greater way. And let us not be torn up inside with guilt or anything by prioritizing and intentionally putting your calling on our lives first. And that is to be your servants, to be your envoys and emissaries and missionaries in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, with our families, with our neighbors, with strangers. Lord, may we be a people on the move who you scattered into the exact place you want us to share the good news of Jesus Christ. In his name I pray, amen.